You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. month's episode of Archaeology and Ale. The Archaeology and Ale podcast is a recording of a monthly series of talks presented by Archaeology in the City, part of the University of Sheffield Archaeology Department's outreach program. These talks are hosted upstairs at the Red Deer Pub in Sheffield on the last Thursday of the month during the academic year. But if you can't make it to Sheffield, don't worry because you can listen here online thanks to the Archaeology Podcast Network. To find out more about archaeology and ale, including community events, upcoming talks, and demonstrations or activities at your school or community group, look us up on Facebook, Twitter, or WordPress. For more information about this month's presentation and the speaker, please check the show notes on the Archaeology Podcast Network Archaeology and Ale page. Right. Good evening. Um, yeah, thank you to um, Archaeology and Ale for inviting me here. My name's Chris Atkinson. I'm an archaeologist, have been for about 11 years now. Uh, started off my career in 2006 with Herefordshire Council's Archaeology Service as their community archaeologist and carry that through to 2013 when I went self-employed. Um, worked for the National Trust for a little while. Um, did my master's in landscape archaeology here at University of Sheffield. That's why I'm here. And uh, yeah, currently working for a company called Pennine Prospects as a, a woodland archaeologist, um, covering the South Pennines as a big three-year uh, heritage lottery funded project, looking at ancient semi-natural woodland across the region and yeah, establishing kind of a history of the landscape and all that sort of stuff. It's all good stuff, basically, all community engagement. Uh, so I'm here to talk to you about Roman Creddon Hill, a community investigation. It's a project funded by the Young Roots programme of the Heritage Lottery Fund and is led by Hereford Sixth Form College, um, an organisation I've had the kind of privilege to have involved in uh, excavations in Herefordshire over my, my time there. And we kind of got together one day and chatted and thought, well then, Herefordshire uh, Sixth Form College, why don't you yourselves apply for a funding and establish a project looking at, well, a site, get, you know, get the, the students, the pupils there, a lot of hands-on um, skills in archaeology. Anyway, next slide. So the project aims, as I was kind of divvering around there, is about involving the AS and A-level archaeology pupils uh, in all of the processes of an archaeological investigation. So not just there as digging, but they're there recording, uh, surveying, um, finds processing, just the lot of it really, and engaging with the local community. So there were 20, 25 pupils in the um, A-level course. And after the first week, which took in their last week of term, 
when they kind of got all the hands-on experience during the summer holidays, the rest of the community were invited along with primary school groups and it was up to them to kind of distill their new newfound skills onto them. Um, and the kind of archaeology was the tool of this and the site was a Romano-British farmstead that was first investigated in 2014 when I was fortunate enough to establish a project funded by the Armed Forces Community Covenant um, looking at this site because it's within a field not too far away from Hereford's um, SAS base and so their families and the idea of that was to get yeah basically their families their children involved in the local history of their area as well as engaging with the local community so it's kind of like a get to meet your neighbors um, sense of place building uh, project um, can I cover that bit and of course final aim was to promote and just get the wider public um, yeah engaged with the heritage on their doorstep so if we go to the next slide so to give you an idea of where the site is, that red shape there, this is uh, the Roman Park playing fields, conveniently named, that was really handy. Um, but the site is yep, in there. Um, there's Credden Hill in the centre. Uh, Hereford is down there somewhere. And from the red dot there, you can see we're right on the border between England and Wales, if you're not sure where Hereford is. Next slide. Um, so a quick, very rapid, brief spiel about the history of uh, Roman Credden Hill in that, uh, well, prior to the Roman conquest, you have the dominant hill fort of Credden Hill camp itself. So on the map, on the top there, you've got the, the Iron Age, uh, mid Iron Age um, hill fort, hilltop settlement, and um, it's the border region here lay between the tribes of the Dabunai and the Cornovi prior to the Roman conquest. Uh, with the Roman arrival, which would be here, it's about 47 AD when they got to this, this region, um, there doesn't appear to have been any uh, conflict in the area. Instead, this became one of their militarised zones as they were kind of continuing their fight against Caraticus and the... Um, or devices and saluris out in what is now Wales to the to the west of that map, um, and they took over the hill fort there and turned it into a military supply base, and it remained a supply base for 10, 15, possibly 20 years. So this was a kind of well-established military frontier, and with that was came the construction of Watling Street West, this main north-south road here linking in with Chester, Roxeter uh, to the north, down towards Gloucester um, and Carly and, and, and places like that. So it really was the, the border country. Um, but by the end of the first century, the army had moved on. And with the establishment of a crossroads down here by that military and presumably all the merchants that had come into the area and the families, you ended up with a town being established known as Magnus. This is an image of what that settlement may have looked like in a, around about 350 AD, um, after which period it kind of went into a steady decline. Um, 
but from the 2014 excavation, as well as uh, other investigations in the area, there's at least four high-status farmsteads or villas scattered around the, the town itself. So the one that we're interested in is this one here on the map. Next slide. And so in 2014, there's a picture of Graham Lance and his wife Lucy, who came along and were involved in the initial project, the Roman Families Project at the site, carrying out a resistivity survey of the area. And I hope you can all see in here these dark lines representing the, the location of buried walls, floors, rubble. And around it, we have a lighter colour here representing a buried ditch. So we've got an enclosed kind of courtyarded structure. And um, my attention was first drawn to it, not because of this 2014 project, but in 2013, I was looking at World War I heritage of Herefordshire and that aerial photograph of 1975 there. Uh, so you've got the housing estate of Glebe Close, I believe it is. But I hope you can see these um, parch marks, the white lines all along here. This is, these are, uh, that is the location of munitions bunkers established in 1916 to house the, sh the, the filled shelves from the uh, National Filling Factory at Rotherwus in the south of Hereford. You may have seen it in the press actually yesterday, I think. There was a bomb scare. The whole place was shut down because they found one of these World War II bombs and all went into a flap. But, uh, <laughs> but these were all part of that because of good railway networks, road communication networks. But it was this to one side of it that kind of caught my attention at the time. It didn't fit the mould. The dark lines there represent, as parch marks, they represent a buried ditch and the white lines representing, again, buried walls, foundations of something. So the next slide. And so with the 2014 excavation, I hope they're clear. There's a kind of image of the trench there on one side. It was very kind of experimental. We didn't, we, we didn't know what we were going to come across. And uh, we just so happened to have fallen smack bang on top of a Roman pottery kiln from the oh, early, early um, second century. And uh, it was brilliant, really well preserved. It had, someone had spent some time to seal it by using um, stone roof tiles and carefully packing it, almost as if they were perhaps thinking they may come back to it one day, or whether it was a sort of pride in workmanship, perhaps they were moving on to somewhere else, but they'd made their money producing, this is my romanticism stuff coming in, they made their money producing pottery, I'm gonna to stick to it. And uh, they walked off to somewhere else and kind of had a bit of care on that. Uh, but what was fantastic about this is that it's only really the dome and potentially the chimney on top that's missing. We have the, the shelf, the pilasters still within there. And at the foot of that, you have the collapsed shelf as well. And we also had oh, probably about 38 fragments of pottery from its last firing that were in there. And it was quite kind of... Not high, status, not high status, but well-made well um, pots and jugs. 
and some of them that had shattered uh, with the bases, it looked like they had been reworked to create lids. Um, and the ceramic specialist tells me it's not unlike um, potters from St Albans that can trace their route across the, the south of the country. So whether this is a branch of that, we're, something we've got to sort of explore. So, so that was a 2014 excavation. Um, we barely touched the building itself. We kind of had this narrow trench. So there's the kiln at the top there. Uh, we had what we thought might be a waster's pit just up here. Um, and this narrow trench coming down to go across the ditch. Now I should say at this point, the ditch was about six meters wide to two meters deep. Um, we couldn't excavate the whole lot because that would just be epic. Um, <laughs> with, you know, 70 school kids and things, it, it wouldn't have gone, gone too well. Um, but in all honesty, this kiln kind of distracted us because it was, it's, it's the first and only one so far found in Hereford, uh, prior to which it was always assumed that pottery was being imported in to the Roman town of Magnus. So it's a bit of a, yeah, game changer, maybe, I don't know. Um, so if we go to the next slide. So we come back in 2016 and we re-exposed the kiln with the intention of getting the full extent of the flue as well as that possible wa uh, wasters pit. And out to the north up here, we wanted to expose more of the, the northern wing of the structure and out here explore that western wing of the structure as well. Try to work out, you know, who was living there. Are there any phases in that structure's uh, building? Um, uh, yeah, all the rest of it, really. So if we go to the next slide. So we kind of identified four, maybe five phases. Oh, yeah. <laughs> This is going to sound great on the recording. Um, <laughs> so I've got that uh, uh, photograph in the top right-hand corner there. So at the top is north. So this is the west wing of the structure. The north wing, we have a bit of the wall just up here and the kiln and the pit within that sort of courtyardy area. So when we look at the geophysical uh, survey, our first phase is represented, maybe ignore that for a moment, our first phase is represented by the construction of the ditch and whatever was going on in the interior here. Um, it appears it was an industrial site from the outset, uh, dating to the maybe late first century, but certainly by the early uh, second century, there was an industrial site there. We were unable to date in the... 2014, the origins of the ditch kind of, we were kind of hoping we might find some Iron Age pottery and some nice charcoal and things like that at the bottom that we can push the date of it back, but we can't, can't really do that. So it appears to be Roman. Um, and phase 1.2, I guess, is the construction of this north wing. That appears to be uh, the first thing. So if we go to the next slide. And if you remember that initial picture where we saw the, the foundations in the top, this is a, a view down onto it. 
and they're pretty substantial foundations. Um, <clears throat> this dark material at this level is the initial industrial layer of, yeah, you've got iron slag in there, bits of fired clay, pottery. It's presumably whatever industry was going on there, it was all about um, pottery production and iron working. And so this had accumulated within that ditched enclosure. And then you get the construction of the north wing of that building, that north block. So they've cut into that um, industrial layer, put down one layer of hefty blocks of local sandstone as a primary foundation layer, covered that with compacted, um, more gravelly material. And that again is sealed in with um, almost like a compacted concrete. It was so, it was just solid, very fine. And it's on top of that, that they would have constructed their walls. So that's very much the foundation there. And the interesting part was that if you look at this picture, that edge there represents this edge here. So we're looking at that section. Um, I hope you can see the kind of accumulation of industrial debris, which is this dark layer coming and lapping over the foundations of the walls themselves. So, so although we've got a structure here and it appears to be domestic, which we'll see from another slide, um, the industrial use of the area continued in that early uh, second century. So if we go to the next slide. And here's some of the, um, the artifacts that came out, nice fibula brooch, uh, cosmetic spoons and uh, samianware being brought in from central uh, Gaul, um, as well as other kind of ceramic types. So there, was a, so there was a clear domestic use for that structure. From the foundations themselves, measured about a metre, maybe a bit more wide. So there's a suggestion that, as well as the ground floor, it may have supported an additional floor above that. Um, next slide. As we come on to the second phase, this is where our kiln comes into play within this area here, the kiln and the um, pit, possible wasters pit. So if we go to the next slide. And um, from the radiocarbon dates that we got, one in 2014, and we took an additional three this time round, the kiln has been dated to between the, well, one, one, two, five through to two, two, five or so. You've got a hundred year gap somewhere in there. That kiln has been established and has closed down. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's just really cool. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, and at the foot of the kiln, what we did last time we were there in 2014, because we didn't have the financial resources and things like that, I mentioned the shelf that had collapsed into the foot of the kiln itself. We left it there for, and thankfully managed to come back this time to have a look at it. And so you can just about see it in this blurry image. Um, that is the shelf at the bottom there. And with the odd hole, one there, one down here, they're the kind of vents allowing the heat to come through and rise up. You've got to imagine this would have once rested on those pilasters. Um, yeah, it was, it, yeah, fantastic, basically. Uh, if we go to the next slide, I can't remember what's next. Um, 
and we extended the, uh, the, that potential waster's pit and found that it wasn't a waster's pit, it was in fact uh, an ash pit. Um, they were simply, after each firing of the kiln, they were raking everything out through the stoke hole and dumping it straight into here. So you can see a good depth of ash in the bottom there, timber or burnt uh, timber at the bottom there, um, mostly hazel, um, but also over a thousand kind of uh, spelt gloom bases in there as well. Uh, as well as from across the site, we have other uh, um, like garden peas, bread wheats, um, yeah, other organic remains. So it also kind of, it was interesting because it gave us firstly an idea of what they were potentially growing locally to the area. But the fact that you have thousands of ba uh, gloom bases in there suggests that after the process of obtaining their, their food supply with a waste product, they were also chucking that in as a source of fuel for the, the kiln itself, which I thought, yeah, it's quite, quite interesting. Um, next slide. And the third phase is, represents the closure of that kiln. So by the, where am I with my centuries now? Getting lost, oh dear. <laughs> um, third, isn't it? Yeah. By the, uh, by the early third century, closure of the kiln, you then have the reworking of the site and sort of an abandonment of it as a, an industrial um, site as a whole. And the domestic side, or possibly the farmstead side, comes, comes, comes through. And it's with that that we have the west wing of the, the site constructed. Now, I've kind of put a dashed line around the east wing there, but of course we didn't excavate that bit, so I can't confirm it. But I like to think, you know, perhaps it was all the same development at the same time, just because of the, the lay of it, the planned lay of it. If you go to the next slide. And the foundations, again, is all we're left with, but the, the form of these foundations is different to that of that north wing. Um, they're narrower, only about 70 centimetres wide, and rather than being consisting of huge kind of foundations, blocks capped with finer layers and then finer layers on top of that, you've only got two. You've kind of got big rubble chucked in the bottom, smaller rubble on top of that, all packed down, and then your wall constructed on top. And there's, so this is one of the foundations here, and there's the the west wall, so this is the back of the enclosure. Beyond that would be the enclosure ditch. Um, and there's another example of this bit after a bit more excavation or so. Um, and from the kind of scale of these walls, rather than the northern block, which we kind of suggest may have been two stories, had an additional story on it, we think because of the width of these and the scale of it, it may have only supported the one ground floor level structure. Um, the floor surface was plonked down straight onto 021. That is the number, the context number for the industrial layer. So, and they just put down a compacted, almost concrete surface again within here, number 88, as it says there. And so there's patches of that still surviving in there. We also have evidence of a partition wall out here, going at a right angle, going across, uh, appears to have been timber, a timber um, 
potentially wattle and daub uh, partition. And as the site progressed, um, the floor was gradually replaced and patched up with cobbles and rubble and bits and bobs and popped in over time. Um, go to the next slide. But here we go, a bit of imaginative uh, reconstruction going on. Um, but from the artifacts that we're pulling up, we know we've got coins dating the site between 270, 348, we're pretty sure the site probably went on a bit longer than that, maybe into the early 400s, uh, mimicking the, the neighboring town. Um, it was certainly uh, domestic, but there's a, a farmstead, um, there's a farming aspect to it, what with all the, the grains that we found, but also a huge number of animal remains from horse, cattle, sheep, dog, um, the building must have been pretty grand because we found a rather nice limestone column base and in 2014 we found another one and these are kind of, they're not full circle, they're, they're in half so you've got to imagine them kind of being propped up maybe against either side of an entranceway. Um, painted wall plaster, uh, stone roof tiles, so it all kind of throws together a kind of reconstruction of image of what it may have looked like in the well, late 200s AD or so. Go to the next slide. And then we come to our fourth and potentially final phase of the site, and it is the, its demolition. Um, after 400, 410, when the army and Britain's left to its own defences, basically, um, there is a general decline in um, state of settlement with the Roman town of Magnus and sites across the area, and we assume that's going on here too. And what we're left with is the walls, the material being robbed away, used for construction elsewhere, and we're left with this just general spread of rubble across the site. But if we go to the next slide, one of the kind of interesting features, I thought, of the of the site was the discovery of a half cut into that rubble demolition layer um, located within what would have been the courtyard of that sort of horseshoe shaped uh, structure. Um, yeah, getting a bit romantic about it all again, thinking about, you know, places in a state of decline. Um, is there still someone living there amongst the ruins of this thing into the 400s when the local area is becoming British again before the uh, before the Celts, well, I'm about Anglo-Saxons come in um, later on. So if we go to the next slide, so so that's kind of a real rapid sort of roundup of the discoveries of that excavation. Um, there's obviously more information in the booklet there, more about the history of um, the area as a whole. Um, Promoting the area to the public as part was not only producing booklets, but we've established and we're promoting a heritage trail around the area, which is going to take in seven, eight or so locations. Um, and the aim of this is to kind of pick in things from the Iron Age camp down through to the, the Roman site here, the Roman town, the old Roman road, you can still walk along and all the cobbles are still there, which is quite nice. Um, 
medieval settlement of Sutton, um, Stretton Subworth, sorry, um, trees, nice old trees over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, the, and the medieval um, church of St. Mary's up here, the site of medieval Creddon Hill. And if we go to the next slide, and so this is a kind of image of the display boards. So there's two of them going up in the village, um, promoting the walk. We've got the web pages that are, yeah, further promoting all the information and the booklets of which a thousand were printed so far and being distributed around the, the local community there, the, the local military garrison, uh, the schools, the, yeah, every, everybody there really. And that's it. Are there any questions? Hopefully not too many. <laughs> uh, you mentioned finding pottery inside of the kiln. Do you mm. think that pottery, was it being produced for just strictly domestic use? Was it being produced to then sell on, do you think? Was it kind of commercial? I have a feeling it's commercial um, because as well as the stuff in the kiln uh, this year, uh, sorry, last year, when we were digging there, we were also finding the same materials scattered around the area um, as well. So, yeah, the same materials coming up. So I would imagine it's commercial use. I was just going to say, well, I just missed it. Are you going back to the site? Or you I'd love to. I need the excuse. <laughs> I'm kind of like... I say stuck's the wrong word, but I've got a three-year job <laughs> around the South Pennines, but um, it's certainly in my back pocket to hopefully go back. Um, yeah, because the trenches, you know, they're only small trenches, really. There's only so much information you can get. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, right. <laughs>